0: amen well it's December can you believe it Christmas is literally right around the corner and we are reminded of it everywhere we go as the song says and every time we turn on the TV right there are lots of Christmas movies that you see on TV this time of year some are played over and over again On some stations all day, every day since November the 1st, right? Lots of classic Christmas movies played this time of year, some that you watch every year. And though what makes these movies great is, of course, their heartfelt, warm storylines and their beloved main characters like George Bailey, And It's a Wonderful Life, and Ebenezer Scrooge from The Christmas Carol. There are also some great supporting characters that make the story and the movie what it is, right? For example, for those of y'all familiar with uh, It's a Wonderful Life, where would George Bailey be without Clarence Oddbody? Remember Clarence, his, his guardian angel? Or where would Ebenezer Scrooge be without the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. Now, I know there are some major theological problems with those uh, movies, right? But they're just just good fictional stories, good fictional movies, And, uh, and we are reminded of those wonderful main characters and, of course, the supporting characters as well. Well, for the next three weeks, we are going to be looking at the supporting cast in God's Christmas story from scripture. We are going to be studying how God used these supporting characters in his story and what we can learn from them from the nativity story and their part that they played and what application that we can make for our lives today. We're going to begin our series this morning by first looking at an unlikely priest An obscure virgin woman and an important messenger of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. We're going to look at two separate passages this morning, and the two we're going to look at in those passages, we are going to learn more about this unlikely Jewish priest and this obscure obscure virgin woman. But first, we're going to focus in on this important messenger of the Lord because we see him in both passages. Who is he? Who is this messenger of the Lord? For those of y'all familiar with the story, you should know it's Gabriel, right? One of God's angels. And as many of you know, angels play an important role in God's kingdom story. The word in both the Hebrew and the Greek mean messenger. That is one of their, their main functions. They are God's agents sent to deliver His message, the message of His gospel. They are created beings who exist to worship God and serve Him. They are shown in Scripture directing praise toward the one true and living God. They are sent to minister. We know that they were sent during Jesus' earthly ministry to minister to Him. They are also sent to protect God's people and fight for His purposes. There there are two angels mentioned by name in Scripture if you exclude the fallen ones, right? One is, is Michael who is a a guardian for God's people who goes to war against Satan and his demons. And you have Gabriel. When Gabriel is shown in Scripture, he is delivering messages to God's people. And we're going to look at two very important messages that he delivers in Luke Chapter 1. First, let's look at his appearance to Zechariah in Luke 1 5 through 17. Then we'll look at his message to Mary in a moment. I want you to notice several things about this encounter here with Zechariah. First, I want you to see that this encounter is an unlikely encounter. It's an unlikely encounter. Look at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, if you lived in this day, there is no doubt you would have heard of King Herod. He's the king of Judea. But chances are good that unless you live close by or you worked with or you were related to one of them, chances are good you would not have known about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were unknowns. They are nobodies by the world's standards. Some will say, well, Zechariah wasn't that insignificant, right? He was a priest, Well, here's where context is key. You see, in this day, priests like Zechariah were a dime a dozen. There was was one high priest, but there were tons of priests. I read where there were more priests in this day than there were tasks to do. So Zechariah was was one among among many, many priests. But get this, there is only one king of Judea, and that was Herod. So his position, his notoriety far surpassed that of the priest. Many in that day believed him to be a more important guy than a guy like Zechariah, but not in God's economy, right? Isn't it interesting how Luke just glosses over a man like Herod to center in on this priest? In the Christmas story, Herod is a pawn, though he was a king. He was a pawn. In the plan of God but this unknown individual this unlikely priest this guy who was overlooked by most was God's chosen instrument and this is always the way it is folks in God's kingdom do you realize that the world looks at people like you and me says not important insignificant not worth mentioning am I right I mean, what what dominates the news in our our world today? The goings-on in Washington, the social status of celebrities in Hollywood, which is not good right now. I'm glad that's coming to light. The lifestyles of the rich and famous. But what do we know about the faithful? We often know more we do, more about what's going on in Taylor Swift's life than we do the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. But do you know who's important to God? You know who God's concerned with? You know what makes the front page of His news? What's going on in the lives of His faithful followers. He is concerned with the lifestyles of His children. He is concerned with his chosen instruments, those who are making him known and advancing his kingdom. Though the world may view people like you and me as being obscure and insignificant, folks, in God's economy, get this, kings are pawns. And the unlikely are his chosen instruments. And that's very much the case with Zechariah and Elizabeth and we'll see in a moment with Mary as well. But look at where we see this here. Following verses, we see that they play a very important role, though they are obscure, they play a very important role in God's kingdom story and in his greater story of redemption. Notice also, in addition to an unlikely encounter, there is a timely appearance. A timely appearance. Look at verses 6 through 12. And they, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside as Zechariah went in. At the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zachariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I imagine so. He's expecting to be alone in there. Now, like I said earlier, priests in the first century, they were a dime a dozen. There were more priests than there were jobs to do. And in one commentary I read that because there were so many priests, if you were a priest in this day, you only had one opportunity in your entire life in ministry to do what Zechariah is doing here at the altar at the hour of incense, to go into the temple and to, to burn incense. There were 24 divisions, each served twice a year, for a week total during that time and only one by lot was chosen to enter in to the temple at this hour, the hour of incense, to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Listen to this quote from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It just kind of solidifies this. It, it, it explains this. It says, because of the large number of priests, this would be the only time in Zechariah's life, when he was allowed to perform this task. So, think about this. It's a big day for Zechariah, right? We learn he is selected for this one and only time in his life to enter into the temple, to offer incense, and it's on this day, this big day, during this important task. That he is visited by an angel. How about that? And it wasn't just any angel. Look at verse 19. The angel says, I am Gabriel. This This is Gabriel. The same angel that appeared to Daniel to prophesy of God's future redemption. The same angel we'll see in just a minute who appears once again to an unknown virgin woman. The last time Gabriel shows up in Scripture was in the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel chapter 9. Gabriel appears to Daniel to tell him of the coming of the Anointed One, which is a messianic prophecy of the coming of Christ. And then Gabriel doesn't appear again until right here in Luke chapter 1, to Zechariah to announce the fulfillment of the prophecy he gave several hundred years earlier to the great prophet Daniel. So notice here, you have this common, everyday, average priest performing this task who has this incredible encounter and is given this extremely important message. Again, we see God treats kings as pawns, right? But we also see that he delights in using unlikely people as key instruments in his kingdom work. So we have an unlikely encounter. There's a timely appearance and an answered request, an answered prayer, an answered request. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Notice here how this angel gets personal with Zechariah. Not only does he give him this magnificent message of redemption, but he, he also gives him a personal word of comfort. He says, God has heard yours and Elizabeth's prayer. Though God is about to do this incredible work of epic proportions in and through His Son, though He is about to send His Son to accomplish salvation for all who believe in Him, He also takes time to concern Himself with the personal struggles of this priest. Isn't that amazing? God knew what. Zachariah and Elizabeth had been praying for for years and years he knew they wanted a child we're told in verse 7 they were advanced in years they had probably been praying this prayer for a child year after year and it was on this big day when this prayer was answered now I know this is a big deal in our day today being without a child. But believe me, it was a big, big deal in this day. Pedigree was so very, very important to the Jews. So to not have 10 to 12 kids to continue your legacy, that was devastating to them in that day. And so Gabriel gives Zachariah some incredible news here. He lets them know that God has heard their prayer and is going to answer it by giving them a son. Though he's doing this incredible work and he's about to to accomplish salvation, he is still mindful of the personal request of his people and that's the way he's at work today. He's doing this incredible work advancing his kingdom but he is mindful of you believers and your personal request. He hears you. He is answering those prayers. May that be a comfort to you. And their son is not just any son, is he? Gabriel says he is going to be favored by God. So notice here, you you not only have an unlikely appearance and a timely appearance, but you also have an answered prayer, an answered request, but you also have a favored son. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Pretty amazing, right? Notice here, there is going to be this widespread and divine acceptance of their son. He he says, you guys are going to have a son, and you're going to rejoice at his birth, and so are many others others. He is going to be a special child. He is favored by God in a special way. Remember, he's used by God in the womb of Elizabeth. It's amazing. When Elizabeth is visited by Mary, John leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth, when this happens, through God's enabling, she knows Mary is pregnant with a very, very special child. Isn't that interesting? That John was to be the way shower, to prepare the way of the Lord, to point to Christ, and he's doing it from the womb. God's using him in the womb to do that very thing. It's amazing. He has a special hand on his life, special calling. He is favored by God in a significant way look at verse 15 we're told he'll be great before the Lord now now let me ask you this did their son grow up to be this powerful and impressive ruler who was looked to and revered by everyone not quite right now he had a pretty big following in his day he was a leader he was loved by God and favored by him but many thought he was dangerous and crazy He wore strange clothes, had an odd diet. I would say you wouldn't be making a fashion statement wearing camel hair, right? And I don't know of anybody who lives off of locust and honey. That was his diet. So, strange individual that God uses. Zachariah and Elizabeth were unlikely people, so was their son. Though they're given this incredible promise in Luke 1. Nothing really happens with their son over the next 30 years. And when it comes time for him to do this great work that God appointed him to do, many viewed him as being half crazy and dangerous again. And and he loses his life, doesn't he? But John the Baptist is used in a mighty way. Like his dad and mom, he was an unlikely instrument who is used in a mighty way in God's kingdom story. He was from the backwoods, ate weird food, dressed funny, got under people's skin. He's the guy many of us would have wanted to distance ourselves from. Yet we're told he grows up to be great before the Lord. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said of him, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. What a statement. He is the one who prepares the way for Jesus. So we learn here that the Christmas story is an unlikely story, isn't it? We learn that this unlikely guy from an unlikely family is is the one God appoints to prepare the world for the Lord Jesus Christ, God answers the prayer of this insignificant and ordinary couple, gives them a son. God raises his son up from obscurity, and he uses him to bear witness and to prepare the way for his son, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, as amazing as this story is, this story should not surprise us, should it? Because this is the way God works throughout the scriptures. And this is the work that God talks of all throughout the scripture. I read a passage earlier from Isaiah. God's pointing toward this. The Old Testament stories, they whisper the name of Jesus. They point to him. But all throughout scripture, we read about God using unlikely people for his purposes. God delights in using the insignificant and the ordinary for his kingdom work. And that should encourage us, right? I mean, not to hurt anybody's feelings in here, but is that not us? Are we not insignificant and ordinary by the world's standards? Do any of y'all have paparazzi waiting for you when you leave this place this morning? No world leaders or celebrities in here, right? But get this, I do know this, though that's the case, I do know this, This room and during the second service, the room again will be filled with people whom God is focused on, whom God is concerned with, with people God wants to use for His purposes and for His glory. So, an unlikely priest, a timely encounter, an answered request, a favored son, and a redemptive mission. A redemptive mission. Listen to the work that Zechariah and Elizabeth's son John grows up to do. Gabriel tells Zechariah, And he, John, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In in, in verses 16 and 17, Gabriel is telling Zechariah that his son is going to be used by God in a mighty way to prepare the way for his son, the Lord Jesus. He compares him to Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, and he says, in the spirit of Elijah, John is going to do this work. He is going to prepare the hearts of the wicked for the Lord he is going to turn many of the children, he says, of Israel to the Lord their God. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. He's going to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He is going to restore families by restoring them to God, helping them be restored to God through the power of the Spirit. Right? He's going to restore families. Families are going to be restored to one another and to God. Fathers from disobedience to righteousness, to be the fathers. God has called for them to be in the home. We need that today, don't we? Desperately. And how does he do it? Well, with the help of the Spirit, of course. How does the Spirit work in him through John? Through his message. He preaches repentance, doesn't he? Why does he preach repentance? Why is that John's main message? Simple, because sin is the problem sin is the problem sin is the problem we all have we have all turned away from god we have all gone to life on our own and the only way for us to be made right with god again is if we repent of sin turn away from it and back to god some of you think man that doesn't sound real christmasy talking about sin boy sin is the reason for christ to come the christmas season should remind you of your sin that's the reason Christ took on flesh, is because you and I are sinners. So, that's the story of an unlikely priest in his encounter with God's messenger, Gabriel. There's another unlikely person who also receives a visit from this angel. Let's talk about Mary for just a moment. Skip down to verse 26. Notice three things about the encounter that Mary has. Number one, she too has an unlikely encounter. Look at verses 26 and 27. We're told in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Sounds similar to the previous passage with a few key differences. This time, instead of appearing to an old man, Gabriel goes to a young woman. Instead of appearing to a priest in the temple in Jerusalem, he goes to a betrothed virgin in a lowly city called Nazareth. And this time... Instead of giving news about the coming of the messenger of the Messiah, Gabriel is going to tell her of the coming of the Messiah. So, so some, some key differences in these two accounts, but one similarity is that Mary, like Zachariah, was an unlikely person. She was. She was young, inexperienced, insignificant, unimportant woman. She was a nobody by the world's standards. And the fact that she is from Nazareth is also very, very shocking. For those of you Cars fans in here, Nazareth was like the Radiator Springs of the Middle East. Okay, you with me? It would be like saying that the Messiah was going to come from Nazareth would be like me saying the next world leader is going to come from Mark Tree, Arkansas. Anybody know where Mark Tree? Nobody's from there, right? I know I'm okay to use this. I'm an Arkansan, so... We'll stick with that. Mark Tree, Arkansas, right? That's how unlikely a person this was. Well-known pastor and author, Dr. Kent Hughes, put it in this way. Very, very simply, he said, Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. That's right. She was an unlikely person, yet she is shown divine favor. Point number two. Look at verses 28 through 33. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow! What a message! I mean, I know we've heard this so many times, we just sort of gloss over it this time of year, but really try to put yourself in Mary's sandals. This well-known angel that she has grown up hearing stories about, appears to her. And he says, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. He says, in your womb is Jesus, the great one, son of the most high, the king of all kings. Mary was shown great favor by God. Notice Gabriel says just that. Greetings, O favored one. Then he says, you have found favor with God. But Mary was like everyone else, folks. She was. Other than this special calling to our teenage girls in here, Mary was around your age. Not much different than you. There was nothing special about her. She was a sinner born and raised by sinners in need of a Savior. Yet she has shown this unmerited and undeserved favor by God. So she has an unlikely encounter. She has shown divine favor. And third, she also learns of a marvelous mystery. Look at verses 34 through 36. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I want you to notice here that Mary responds like any rational person would. People in our day who don't believe in in this story and are not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they try to just paint everybody in the first century as just these superstitious people that believed in virgin births and were looking for empty tombs. But notice Mary responds like any rational person in our day would with this message. Her response is, how? How's this gonna happen? How am I going to have a baby? I don't understand. I'm a virgin. I love Gabriel's response. It's really, really simple. Verse 37, he says, nothing will be impossible with God. He says, Mary, you're thinking of man's inability, not God's capability. Boy, we need to think in that way. We need to shift like Mary gets here. He says, you don't know it yet, but you're relative elizabeth who was barren has conceived in her old age and that was a work of god and he says this will be as well He says god is going to do this incredible miraculous work He is going to cause you to conceive while remaining a virgin and though Mary did not understand all the ins and outs of how God was going to bring this about we're told that she believed God that's faith Mary was a woman of faith and notice how she responds. You'll find that out this week. We don't have time to get into it. But notice, she you keep reading, she responds with worship. She sings. She praises the Lord. You're going to read Mary and Zachariah's song this week in your scripture reading. This message delivered from God's great messenger, Gabriel, led both of them to worship. And believers, this message should lead us to do the same. This should be our response this Christmas. As we focus in on this event in history, the incarnation, this event is one of the most important in the gospel story because get this. If Jesus had not become a man, he could not have gone to the cross and laid his life down on our behalf. Jesus had to first become a man to represent mankind so that he could accomplish this great work of salvation. And that is why Christ Came, He came to make that possible. He came from heaven to earth, took on flesh, lived among us, gave his life for us so that our sins could be placed upon him and so that his righteousness could be applied to us by faith. Folks, that's what the Christmas story is all about. I've said this over and over again, year after year at this time of year, but I'm going to continue saying it because it's true. When we think of Christmas, the cross should be on our minds. That's what it's all about. We should, of course, be mindful of our sinfulness. That's why Christ came. But we should also know that Christ came to bring rescue for you and for me through the life he lived, through the death he died, through the price he paid on our behalf. That's what Christmas is all about. Maybe you're here this morning and that's not what's on your mind this time of year. You're being honest. Maybe you know a little bit about the story of the baby in a manger, but, but your focus at Christmas has never really been on Jesus and this great work that he came to do by going to the cross as our substitute and sacrifice. And maybe the reason why that's never been on your mind is because you don't know him personally. I pray that changes this morning. Folks, whether our world likes it or not, this here is what Christmas is all about. The Christmas story is a story of salvation it's a story of rescue it's a story of God fulfilling a promise he made from the beginning to redeem a fallen world and a broken people by sending his son it's the story of God the son Jesus taking on flesh living among us and for us in our place it's a story of him living the perfect life we can never live on our behalf, dying the death we deserve to die, conquering sin and death through his death, burial, and resurrection so that we, through faith alone in him alone, could be forgiven of sin, restored to God, and have life in his name. That's the message of Christmas. For those of you trusting in Christ this morning, that's your story this Christmas story is yours. But if you're here and you're not trusting in Christ alone, if you have not turned from your sin and made Christ the Lord of your life, bowed your knee to King Jesus, this can be your story this morning if you would do that. I pray you would. If you have not forsake your sin, give your life up and over to King Jesus today and be saved. Would you pray with me?